Rainmaker FM. Copy Blogger FM is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those of you who are selling physical products, digital downloads, or membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why more than 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. You can check it out by going to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. Hey you, it's good to see you again. Welcome back to Copyblogger FM, the content marketing podcast. Copyblogger FM is about emerging content marketing trends, interesting disasters, and enduring best practices along with the occasional rant. My name is Sonia Simone. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Rainmaker Digital, and I like to hang out with the folks who do the heavy lifting over on the Copyblogger blog. You can always get extra links, resources, and the complete show archive by pointing your browser to copyblogger.fm. So today I am fortunate enough to have some questions from our audience uh, in different places. So some folks from the podcast and some folks from Twitter. And I'm going to start with a question from Amit. It's really more of a comment. And he left this note about my copyblogger post about ebooks. And I thought he made a good point, and I thought that um, he gave me an opportunity to talk to something that I didn't mention in the post. So here was his comment. What I see, 95% of the ebooks are rephrased and rewritten, and the readers get cheated. The words valuable and quality are so misused and misinterpreted. I wish we had a garbage can for the net where we could just thrash the ru- rubbish ebooks and clean and give space to good and better for the coming generations. If we continue to do what we are doing now, then the best books will be set in some corner, coughing up its last, last breath. So I really liked that comment because it made me realize that I did miss an opportunity in that post to talk about something that I have in the past called CRAP content, content regurgitated as product. And the way that I define this, you can probably kind of guess where I'm coming from, is that junky stuff, it gets shared a lot on social, especially on Facebook. It's not necessarily content created by BuzzFeed, because BuzzFeed actually employs journalists and they actually do some work and some of their content is quite good. But it's the cynical junk that clones BuzzFeed, you know, and and we've all seen it and we've all clicked on it. It has a cheap headline that's, you know, standard clickbait headline. The content is weak, so the headline is writing all kinds of checks that the content cannot cash. There's not any engagement at all. So it's not only clickbait, it's like bad clickbait. And so I call it CRAP content, content regurgitated as product. And it's this idea of this kind of extruded content product, you know, that people put out. um, And every kind of content anywhere that's being produced is subject to this because people create something that is cheap and fast and appears to tick some of the boxes because they want the benefits of content, but they don't want to put any work into content. 
So I originally wrote about CRAP content in a post about what some people call content shock. And content shock is the point when there is so much stuff created, so many ebooks and podcasts and blog posts that we cannot consume it. So there's more, you know, there's more content created than there are human hours of time available to watch it or read it. And something that I have observed about content shock is that if the content being created, if more of it was good, we would have a real problem, right? We really would have a problem. There wouldn't be enough time in people's lives to get to what they want to get to. And that's certainly, that's a factor. You know, I I can't listen. I just don't have the free hours to listen to all the podcasts I would really like to listen to, for example. And I almost never watch video content for the same reason. I just, there's more really interesting video content than I have hours available to watch video. But because so much content is so dreadful and so many ebooks are so dreadful, um, it tends to work out okay. And it tends to work out okay if, in my experience, you focus on four things. So I will tell you what they are. The most important one is to solve a real problem with your content. So it's content that actually addresses something people care about, and it really solves it. It's not a fake solution. It's a real solution. If you can really get people out of debt, if you can really get people to stick with their exercise program, if you can really get people to have a better relationship with their teenager, those are real problems and real solutions will be welcomed. The other thing I think is very important, and you often do not see this in the CRAP content, is you want to have a real point of view. You want to have a specific solution. So you're not trying to be Wikipedia, you're not trying to be neutral or objective, and you are not trying to present every possible solution to the problem. You are going to present the solution you think works best. And so um, content that stands out, ebooks and other kinds of content, tend to be opinionated. It tends to reflect strong um, ideas. Hopefully those ideas are created through experience about what works well and what does not work well. The third thing to focus on is always to just cultivate that interesting human voice. Don't try to sound neutral. Don't try to sound like Wikipedia. Try to sound like a person who knows what you are talking about. And the fourth thing that I do find very valuable is to lead with your values. So make sure that people know kind of where you're coming from, not just in the specifics of your solution. You know, I think that um, high carb works better than low carb or vice versa, not just the, the, the features, but what's behind the features. What do you believe more on a deeper level, on a human level? So specifically talking about ebooks, there are lots of crummy ebooks that you can buy on Amazon for 99 cents. A lot of them are available for free on the Kindle Unlimited program. But I found the wonderful book Growing Gills, which I've talked about on the podcast, and I'm going to have the author on the podcast in the future. Um, I found that on Kindle Unlimited, and I think she did have it on on sale for like a 99 cent or a dollar 99 for a limited time. I then followed up by buying a physical copy because the book was so good. So there is always room for something that's genuinely good 
whether it's an ebook, a podcast, what have you, particularly if you put the work in to promote it and you're not just waiting around thinking that because it's good, it will sell itself. So Amit, thank you for your note. And we will move on to Joel. So Joel asked on Twitter, how do people buy the psychology of it? And we kind of dug into that further and confirmed that he meant the psychology of your message. Or how does psychology affect how you talk with your audience, how you communicate with them? So this is just a completely huge, massive question. And um, it is, though, a question that is really satisfying and useful to look into and to study because it changes so little. So there are some user experience kinds of things that change. You know, people want their websites to look a different way or they want them to function a different way or they have maybe a more limited attention span. But when we study psychological drivers of persuasion, those things tend to stick around for quite a while. So it's very satisfying to put the work in because it'll pay off for a long time. So I will give you a teeny weeny, you know, sliver of some of the things that I've looked at over time. Um, Anyone interested in this, I would probably start with Robert Cialdini's work and particularly his book, Influence, and also his newer book, Persuasion. Um, Both of those are particularly powerful books about the psychology of persuasion, what works and what doesn't work. I will also quickly share something that I heard the marketer Sharon Livingston talk about many, many years ago. So she has a PhD in psychology, and she tends to look very closely at emotional drivers of persuasion and buying. And I'll give you a link to her um, to her bio in the show notes. But she used something, um, she explained something I thought was really useful, which was a kind of a ladder when you're trying to understand what features and benefits are important to your audience. And in a nutshell, that technique is that you, you think about your features and your benefits of your products or your services And you keep asking yourself, why do you want that question? So, for example, if somebody wants to buy like a really good blender, you say, well, why do you want to buy a really good blender? And the answer might be to make healthy smoothies. Okay, well, why do you want to make healthy smoothies? Well, I want to make healthy smoothies because I want to lose five pounds, and I think that would be a good way to do that. Okay, well, why do you want to lose five pounds? I want to lose five pounds because if I lose five pounds, I'll feel better about myself. And her insight was that most benefit ladders, as I believe the term she had for them, the bottom rung, the fundamental rung of the ladder is because I will feel better about myself. That people buy things and consume products and pay for services, um, sometimes for, you know, things like actual health reasons or or whatever it might be. But very often, the corner rung of the ladder, the, the deepest rung of the ladder, is I want to feel better about myself. So that's a quick kind of a trick that you can do to keep asking yourself and see if you can get to that bottom rung of the ladder. If you can, you've probably got a pretty good persuasive argument. And then you can use the different rungs of the ladder in your content and your copy to explain to people why they're going to get a lot out of this product or the service. 
So two quick tips. Um, reading Robert Cialdini isn't that quick, but it's um, well worth your time. So moving on to a comment left on this podcast by Marsha Yudkin, and I was delighted to see her name because I um, I just have always really admired her work. I, you know, she's a, a really interesting copywriter and marketer and a person who holds a lot of the same values I do, so it was neat to see her. So Marsha, welcome. Nice to see you. So she left a note on the episode that I recorded about leaving better blog post comments, which was a not at all thinly disguised attempt to improve the quality of the blog post comments that we get. Um, Some of them are good and then some of them are, you know, could use a little work. And so here's what Marcia had to say. And I thought this was a great point. I most respect blogs where the comments include substantive engagement with the ideas presented in the blog. Sometimes it will come across as disagreement, but it can set going an interesting back and forth. It seems like you're not interested in getting those kinds of exchanges going in comments, and I don't understand why. When I see a blog where none of the comments talk back in a compelling way, I wonder why. Are such comments being censored? Are people who disagree too intimidated to enter into the discussion? Isn't part of the purpose of social media to generate meaningful conversation and exchanges of ideas? including honest debate, not just to have a following and a fan club. So among other things, I thought this was wonderfully meta because one of my points in that podcast episode was to be um, wary of always being the devil's advocate and, you know, always being the critical person who attracts the attention of the blog by being critical. Um, And Marsha makes really good points here. And so I thought that was funny that she like left a really good comment doing the thing that I said, you might want to be careful about overdoing that which was excellent because she really illustrated, a, I think, an important distinction. I completely agree with her that when you have that kind of thoughtful disagreement where somebody says, I'm not sure I'm following you on this point, and here's why, you know, I'm not sure I, I think that's right. That's really useful. That's, that's actually conversation. That's engagement, and um, it's a wonderful addition. And when it happens... It is wonderful. I think, frankly, a lot of times it doesn't happen because we get so much angry disagreement on sites like Facebook that everyone has become just a little skittish. So it may be that I didn't even have to tell people that about being careful about being the devil's advocate because maybe people are already pretty skittish about that. So my take on it is in most topics, and for sure about my topic, you know, I talk about content and writing and how to do business and how to do marketing. A lot of times, there's many more than one right way to do things. And as I talked about in the earlier question, I'm going to present the one I think is strong. I'm going to present the one I think is going to get the best results. But there are other ways to do it. There are almost always other ways to do it, and some people get great results with those as well. Just to speak super plainly, because I think it's important, I object slightly to Marsha's point, and I hate to object to it because in a human way she's totally right, which is that no, I don't believe that the primary purpose of a content-driven website that supports a business is to foster the free exchange of ideas. It's really important that if you have a site that's using content to support the business, you keep the support of that business 
you know, at the forefront of what you're concerned about. In my opinion, you do that by offering forth the values and the solutions that you, in your opinionated way, think are, you know, the correct ones. Now, she makes a great point. It's just smart to admit that there's room for discussion on the topic, that you have one way to do it, and it's not the only way. Um, I think that's smart. I just think that's that shows strength and that shows character. For me, I think that's a, um, a smart and, you know, it also just makes discourse better. I'm all for that. What I more often see, though, with critical comments is this kind of belligerent bull in the china shop charge, you know, um, that does not really demonstrate a lot of understanding of the original piece. I can't tell you how many belligerent comments I see where the person didn't, they either didn't read the, the content or they really skimmed it. They just read it so shallowly and they missed, you know, key sections of the content where their point was actually addressed. And the other thing is that sometimes people just come to your site to crap on it because they're bored. Um, and I view that as defacement. I view that as just the same way I would if I had a physical shop and somebody came and graffiti tagged my front door. Um, it's not freedom of expression when you're defacing my business, you know, um, or maybe it is freedom of expression, but it's not freedom of expression that's going to stay up. And I don't even feel a tiny bit bad about it. So when I get comments and, you know, we do get some, we don't get as many as we, we used to. But when I get those kind of comments that feel like vandalism or somebody's just being, um, they're just being kind of a belligerent punk just to be nasty, I don't think twice about getting rid of that. I just don't. I don't worry about it. Um, that's not somebody who, that's not somebody who wants to have a conversation with me about is what we offer a good fit or not a good fit. I'll have that conversation all day long. But I'm not going to just talk to somebody who's here to, um, who's here to troll me because they're bored at work. Just not going to do it. So big thanks to Marsha for a thoughtful note. And on to Tam. Interesting one. As a freelancer, solo practitioner, I don't have colleagues to check over my work. Sometimes you read something and you're so close to it, you can't see the wood for the trees. How do other freelancers cope with this? Do they simply trust their instinct and hit publish, or do they have trusted allies to bounce their work off? I'm an introvert, so I don't have many peer friends. And the ones I do, I don't think it's appropriate to say, hey, what do you think of my latest blog post? Will you read it and send me feedback? And even if I did, I'm sure they'd be too polite to tell me if it was crap. I have a copywriting business that pays the bills, so my clients are happy, but strangely that doesn't feel enough. Writing this, I'm wondering if what I'm actually lacking is connection or validation of some sort. I guess this is the long-winded way to ask, A, how do you get a sugar-free second opinion on your work, especially when you're an introverted home office worker? And B, how do you build and grow relationships with your industry peers? So, Tam, thank you. Super question. Really cool question. Uh, and so many people are in this boat. Um, so many freelancers, so many service providers. You know, there are more and more people around the world working digitally, working remotely, and more and more people working independently. So you might be a freelancer or um, a very independent member of a distributed team or, you know, a business owner. And how do you find that community 
to be able to strengthen your creative work and, and just get good creative feedback. And in a way, this is one that I think the most important thing is to ask the question. The most important answer is to take it seriously and find something that works for you. Um, so I'll give you a couple of examples, but the ones I give might not be an exact perfect fit for you, and you might have a different um, something different that you seek out. If you can find one that suits you, I'm really a fan of joining a community of writers. So we happen to have one. It's called Authority, and particularly our um, certified content marketer community. Um, but the intention is not for this to be an ad for that. But we do have one. We do have a community where you could meet people um, who also make a living as writers. Another really excellent thing you can do is go to conferences. And then here's the tip that I'm not very good at. Actually email back the people you meet who you like. Because you always meet people at conferences and you collect their cards. And then, you know, you're so exhausted on the flight home. And then you get home and there's business cards and it seems like work and two years go by. So actually email them back and, you know, kind of create some communities. That is a great way. Even if you're introverted, um, most of us can kind of rally a little bit and go to a one-day event or, a, you know, a, a weekend event. You know, and if, of course, if that sounds just horrible, then you just look for some equivalent to that in the digital world, a virtual conference, a virtual community. Um, I'm a big fan, once you do kind of identify some people who you think might be your, you know, digital compatriots to help you with this, I'm a really big fan of some form of masterminding. And masterminding has multiple definitions, but at its core, it's about people getting together to make one another's businesses stronger through community and support. So I have benefited, honestly, immeasurably by participating in a formal mastermind that was organized by somebody else and I paid money for, and it was um, intensely, intensely valuable. Uh, but there's other, there's other ways to do that. You know, you could be that you, you get three or four friends and you all get together on Skype or you get together on a Google Hangout every other week and you talk about challenges and maybe you share content. It might you know, have as its primary identity something like a critique group where you agree to give each other feedback. And if it were me, and I, you know, was a freelance writer for a fair chunk of time, I would create a group of people that I would work cooperatively with. You know, it's incredibly handy to have somebody who um, can handle your clients so you can go on vacation, you know, and you can share work with them when you have more clients than you can handle and vice versa. They'll share clients with you. And it's not always easy to find folks like that. And it's not always smooth sailing when you do. But I really believe as a writer for your sanity, it's so helpful to connect with other kinds of writers who do, you know, who do copywriting. I, another idea you can do is you can leave comments on the blog posts of freelancers that you like or hang out with them on their Facebook page. You know, if there's a freelancer who has a prominent social media presence, just comment on their site and kind of hang out with them digitally. You could keep an eye out for a community on Facebook or some other platform. Um, my only caveat to that is that I prefer to stay off of Facebook in particular for this kind of thing 
because I often have times when I have to really manage my Facebook time tightly. And so having to log into Facebook to, you know, to work on my work work is kind of um, like going to the ice cream parlor to work on my diet. It just doesn't tend to work that well for me. I think the in the final analysis, there are just certain structures that when we work for somebody else, those structures are often created for us. You know, there's kind of a community and a social structure of work. So when we work solo, we might be remote working, so we might work remotely within a company, which is what I do, or it could be freelance, or could be, we could be running some other kind of business. We really have to get creative, and we have to think about how to build that for ourselves. And of course, if anybody listening to this knows of a wonderful community for freelance writers, um, I knew of one, and the woman's not running it anymore. Um, let us know in the comments, swingbycopyblogger.fm, and um, let us know, because it's, it's, community is so important to writers, and it's really easy to fall down the rabbit hole of just, you know, working on what you're doing and never getting any outside feedback. And it's really rewarding when you can connect. So I want to thank everybody for your questions. I really appreciate um, all the different points of view and um, the thought and attention that you guys put into the questions. And um, thank you very much. So I will catch you next week. Until then, take care. <laughs>